It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. It's time for the VolQuest podcast, where we dissect the biggest news items of the week. Hey, good Tuesday morning, everybody. Welcome to the VolQuest podcast. I am Eric Kane, alongside Rob Lewis, Brent Hubs, and Austin Price. Appreciate you guys for being here. Go ahead and hit the like button. Subscribe to VolQuest on YouTube, on our YouTube channel. If you're watching this and haven't subscribed already, just helps this video get more in front of Tennessee fans. It is the bye week. But no off days here at VolQuest.com. We're going to be recapping all that was Tennessee's 41-20 win over South Carolina. And then we'll talk some recruiting there towards the end. Let's go ahead and start with that win over South Carolina. Brent Hubs, it was kind of just what the doctor ordered, right? Coming home, dark mode activated, celebrating the 98 National Championship team. You played a team with a pulse, and you beat a team with a pulse in a convincing way. Well, you wanted a line of scrimmage, and we're going to dive into all that stuff and, and, and you know, break it down. I, I think, first of all, let, let me say this, too. Hats off to uh, Alicia and Jimmy Delaney and all the crew that, that put together um, what is a, a football game and an event uh, at Neyland Stadium. Their, their game presentation, uh, Rob, I think you mentioned this in, in your 3-2-1, uh, their game presentation is good anytime there's a game played, but when you throw in all the lights and everything else for a night game, it, it's hard to find an environment and a presentation better than what Tennessee's given right now, whether it's a dark mode jersey or regular jersey. I mean, that that is a heck of an atmosphere to be involved in, and uh, hats off to them for for all the enhancements they have made. Now, for all that to work, you got to play well, and Tennessee played well in the line of scrimmage, and and that's where it starts in this league, and Tennessee was dominant on both sides. Yeah, as you listen to the Exterior Home Solutions of AllQuest podcast, it was a lot of scrimmage play. We're talking about Joe Milton did some things. But the, sto- the story of the night, Austin, was it was the defense. I mean, you had a great environment. You had a good running game and all that. We talked about line of scrimmage, but it was the defense winning at the point of attack. James Pierce, SEC defensive lineman, uh, causing pick sixes. I mean, the defense was great on third downs. It was everything that the defense set the tone for what went down as a big win for Tennessee. Oh, 100%. The, they, the crowd got into it, then the defense delivered uh, massive disruptive plays, whether that be getting home and getting a sack, whether that be uh, being such a disruptive force that, you know, like James Pierce was with nine hurries, that he, you know, pushed, you know, the pocket into Spencer Rattler, who airmailed the receiver on the pick six. Um, and I'm with Hubs. The, the game day presentation is is really, really stepped up the last few years. It's been fantastic. Now, if they can get rid of friends in low places between third and fourth quarter and get something a little better, and I'm told <laughs> the old Garth's days may be coming to an end, then, then I think that's where it you know puts the cherry on top. But, I mean, that defense was uh, – I mean, it, it, they're going to play better de- offensive lines. Hubs has said that since the game Saturday. But to me, it's not about the sack numbers. It's about how much more can they move the, move the pocket, disrupt what the opposing quarterback is doing. Like, you know, like when they play Max Johnson coming up on the 14th, how much can they, you know, I'm not saying like get home and get sacks. It's more about 
How much do they get in his face, force him to make bad decisions? Because when that happens, then the back end gets cleaned up a little bit more. Um, and, and I think that's how Tennessee's going to win this year. I, I said all, all summer long, I thought Tennessee's offense would take a step back. Tennessee's defense would take a step forward. Against Florida, you didn't see it. You saw it more the other night. And the question is, is can they be that defense enough the rest of the year, you know, with, with, the, with the pressures and the disruptive plays up front? And Hubbard, I'm sorry, you see, I just want to say, Hubbard, I know you wrote this, and, and I'm, I made a note of it, but like talking about AP, talking about it's not just the sacks, and it's not just the bad decisions. I mean, South Carolina's staff clearly did not trust their offensive line to hold up in the way they called that game, uh, you know, with the lack of deep shots. Um, and that's, you know, that's a direct result of the pass rush and then just having no confidence that, you know, Rattler could take a five or seven step drop and, you know, not have somebody in his lap. And, and especially given the way they killed them last year with, with you know, a lot of the same parts of the secondary, that was, I mean, I, I thought that was a pretty bold statement about what South Carolina felt about their ability to protect. Well, you, you just saw Kamal Haddon there on the screen. Of course, he had the pick six, but that pick six was created by the pressure of James Pierce. The official stats, unless they've changed them since Saturday night, had James Pierce at two sacks and one quarterback hurry. Pro Football Focus has James Pierce at nine quarterback pressures most of any most of any player in Power Five football in Week Five, and three sacks. Tennessee overall, thirty-two quarterback pressures according to uh, Pro Football Focus. Six from Tyler Barron, nine from James Pierce, three from Omar Norman Lott, three from Josephs, three from Bailey. Uh, again, we can go down the list. Uh, Austin, to your point, it wasn't just the sacks; it was that line playing disruptive football, and then the defense following that lead. They're going to play better offensive linemen. But that that uh, that defensive line as a group, I think, as it goes, so will this defense. Well, yeah, I, I mean, go ahead, go ahead, Austin. Sorry. I was say, yeah, I mean, the, the Hubbard when Omar Norman Lott playing the way he's playing, Omari Thomas is playing the way he's playing. Obviously, James Pierce has been a hellraiser off the edge. Tyler Barron has been really good through the first five five games of the year. Like when, when all those guys are clicking, then you got Dominic Bailey with a play. Karak Garland gets in there on the sack. I mean, you know, like. Josh Josephs got a sack the other day. When all of those things kind of conspire, Tennessee's going to be tough to beat because it's going to be hard to score on them. Well, and, and, and the offenses they're playing the next little bit, I don't think are super dynamic. I mean, A and M, they can hit the deep shots. They've got some nice receivers, uh, you know. Um, but but Alabama, you know, they're kind of one dimensional. They threw twelve passes against Mississippi State. Mississippi State. I mean, you know, it's not like their their secondary is fantastic. I mean. They're going to kind of be the way they play. They're going to it, that game's going to be a low-scoring game down in Tuscaloosa, in theory, right? Because of the way that 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 Alabama wants to play it, and then Kentucky, another team that wants to run the ball a whole lot. Devin Leary's not been great. So again, Tennessee's ability to be really good at the point of attack on defense is going to really tell whether Tennessee's one and two, two and one, three and zero oh in the month of October. Well, and and here's the thing too with the defensive front when you talk about. What the, what it's not just the pressures and the sacks, it's the threat of those things, right? Yeah. So if you can get them, Rob, if you can get a team or, or Eric, whoever, in third and long, then all of a sudden, instead of that being a five man route and you go empty, you, you've got to you've got to have help in there. So you got to keep a tight end in to chip, you know, or you got to go max protect. Well, when you do, that reduces the number of routes you got to cover. It makes it easier to play zone and cover two in the secondary and do different things like that. It dramatically changes 
the, the whole concept of, of Tennessee's defense, not just in the back end, but but how you play and marry things together, A, if you can get there, and just as, almost as importantly, if the team you're playing is afraid they can't block you without keeping extra people in, it changes what they can do if you can get teams in third and long. And, and the highlight of that, and, you know, I think we've all – Tim Banks has not been shy about blitzing, sending extra guys in the past, and, you know, obviously that's been a feast or famine situation in the secondary. This year there's 22 sacks. Only one of them is from a non-defensive lineman. Tamarian McDonald has one on a blitz. Other than that, all from guys who, who are playing with their hand in the ground, which I, I, I think that's significant. Yeah, that's a great stat because we, we talked about it after the game. Brent and I did six sacks on the night, all from the defensive line. I didn't know that on the season, all but just one sack has come for the defensive line. That is, that's fantastic. Um, and just further shows like what this defense can be with that front line. The threat of pressure, the threat of having to bring guys in and block and all that attributes to poor play on third down. Tennessee's 32% on third down so far as a defense. Two of 14 was South Carolina on third downs. Two of five on a fourth downs. 21% is all that South Carolina could convert on on third and fourth downs the other night. You look at that one from a year ago, Rob. Eight of 11 third down conversions for South Carolina. Two of two on on a fourth downs. Tennessee was great on the money downs because, again, that threat of getting back there. And, and you know, it's a play on words. I get it. But Rattle, Rattler was rattled all night long. And even when he wasn't, he was thinking about the last time he was. Yeah, just a totally different situation than what we saw at Florida, especially the first half at Florida, when um, you know, down in distance was in the Gators' favor all night long. And a couple times that they did get the third long, um, you know, they managed to make a play and that, as they were scoring four touchdowns in a row, and it just—it was a totally just a night and day difference. And I mean, it's the thing things that you're talking about. You know, dominating the line of scrimmage. South Carolina could not run the football. You know, you take out the one, so you can't take it out. But outside of the 76 yard run, um, you know, to start to, early in the second half, they really didn't get much done on the ground at all. And you put it all on Rattler, which you know brings the, the pass rush into play again. I was, it was. You know, I don't think South Carolina is great, all, all that, but it was it was a really nice performance for Tennessee's defense. I thought. I'm going to well, flip it over to the offensive side of the football, that line of scrimmage, but quickly, real quick, I, I do want to throw out that stat that Brent, you know, had after the game because I just think it's incredible. Five tackles from Wesley Walker, four of those tackles ended drives, whether that be third down or fourth down. He was all over the place. He played fantastic. Let's flip over. Look at that offensive line, Austin. I, I, a great day running the football. You ran for 238 yards, allowed only one sack, and I even think Milton could have got rid of that football. Andre Kirick, J.J. Crawford, they're going to play football for Tennessee, but they were unavailable essentially for this game. But that's the best five, in my opinion, and it helps so much to get your guy, Cooper Mays, back in there. Your starting center helps with the tempo, and obviously he's just a really good player. Yeah, again, I, I think for Tennessee, they, they've got to go with their best five in these in these crucial games. And, and figuring out that combination is is pivotal. The combination I, they played Saturday to me is their best five. I mean, you know, you can argue the left guard spot or not, but I thought Ollie was really, really solid. Um, you know, Mincy's definitely the best option at right tackle. Uh, and let's face it, I mean, Crawford's done at the end of the year. And Mincy technically has another year left. I don't know if he'd come back or not. Probably not. But if he, you know, if he would, I mean, I think that's why you want to push Mincy here to kind of, you know, show, hey, you're my guy going forward. And if he stays, he stays. If he doesn't, he doesn't. But Cooper was fantastic. He was gassed, um, you know. But, I mean, talk about gutting through it. And now he's got two weeks to kind of, you know, 
recuperate and get ready for Texas A&M, that's a that's kind of a nice buffer game coming in your first game back to have that immediate bye week afterwards to kind of give yourself a little bit more time to get yourself back acclimated and get better in shape. But uh, I thought Spragans uh, had his best game of the year Saturday. Um, and, and I think a lot of that is because one, he had Mincy to his right. Um, but more than anything, it was that he had Cooper to his left. Last year he had, you know, Darnell to his right, Cooper to his left. And this year he's had none of that. And uh, I think he's been um, – the one that's kind of missed uh, Cooper the most. And I think he was as excited to have him back as anybody. So the offensive line looked pretty good a uh, uh, Saturday night. Of course, Brent, you have the loss of Brew McCoy and that's so unfortunate. How is Tennessee going to overcome that loss? Is it going to be a combination of Chaz Nimrod, Caleb Webb, Dante Thornton? Could you see one of those guys emerge kind of like Romel Keaton did a season ago? I feel like it's going to be all hands on deck, but you got a thin receiver group now with Brew McCoy and you hate that you're losing him to such a gruesome injury. Yeah, you do. And one quick note on the offensive line. I agree with Austin. I think it's going to be interesting to see what they do at that left guard spot because, to me, if you look at Ollie Lane and Andre Keurig, talent-wise, athleticism, all those things, I don't know that there's a ton of difference between the two. And so you have some coaches on the staff that talk about experience and how important experience is. Ollie Lane's got more experience in this offense than, than Andre Keurig does. So it makes more sense to me that you play, that you start and play Ollie Lane Maybe you rotate Cure again, but that one makes the most sense to me when you look at this offensive line moving forward. And, and Hubbard, it sounds like Keurig could miss up to another couple of weeks, so like could be back after AM. Now maybe he he cures up a little bit, you know, heals up a little bit quicker. But it sounds like AM is uh, very, very, very much in question. Most most likely back for Alabama if if, if and when he's coming back. All right, let's move now to your question, Eric, about the, about what do they do without Brew McCoy? Um, I, I think it's I don't think it's a plug and play situation, Rob. I, I don't think it's just simply you plug in Caleb Webb and you're done there. I think you have to take this bye week and you have to look at where do you do you slide people? Do you move people around? Does Dante Thornton go outside? Does he stay inside? Does Nimrod come inside? If Thornton goes outside, do you get Dylan Sampson more involved in the passing game? Do you get Jacob Warren more involved in the passing game? Um, all, all those things, I think you have to look at with with this team, and maybe you, you maybe you call some things different. It's not just that you plug and play somebody out there; you you call some things different too. So I think that's something that you take a long, hard look at this week before you go out on the road recruiting while you're traveling on the airplane recruiting. If you're Josh Heupel, without Brew McCoy, what's our best plan of attack with the weapons we have to work with? Besides, obviously, a running game that's going to be crucial for this team's success. Yeah, I, I mean, I, the first thing I think I would try, and I think a lot of us would try, is to see, you know, can Dante Thornton slide out there and handle it? Just because of the, you know, physically, it, it's a no-brainer for what he's bringing to the table. But, you know, we're almost halfway through the season now, and you know, he's, I know he missed, some, he's been banged up, he missed a little time, but. You know, from what we've seen to, to this point, does not suggest like like you're saying that Dante Thornton would not be a plug and play option out there. But I, I think you have to look at it just because of you know his physical gifts. Can he at least you know have have a package? I think we're going to see a lot of web, you know, per personally. But I, I think the biggest thing ever. I think you're going to see this simply a lot more targets for Squirrel White and, and Ramel Keaton. And, and then, AP, let me ask you this: you you think Webb runs better than Nimrod, or Nimrod better than Webb? I like Caleb Webb. Okay. For my, I don't think there's a ton of difference between the two. The one thing I do think they've lost here, 
And and you know what you know you go back the last couple of years you had said Tillman before that you had Jawan and uh, and Marcus Callaway who could literally go up and high point the ball and almost box out guys. I think Jacob Warren is your best option when you're going to throw a jump ball type to a, to a receiver type body. Like you know I'm not I just don't see that with Ramel. I don't see that with with even Dante or, or Squirrel. Uh, maybe Caleb Webb becomes the best wide receiver option. Um, but I do think that that part of it you lose with Brew because I think that was you know, he he could just be kind of almost a bully and box people out um, if if you if you really needed him to and then of course I think that Jerry and the running backs are really going to miss Brew because I mean his ability to block down the field I mean it it, it, it th- those yards on those screens too Austin he, yeah he, he's he's great those yards extra seven extra three extra two extra nine whatever I mean that. That stuff adds up, and I think that's a hidden yardage that Tennessee will miss for the rest of the year. Yeah, I think on those screens, that's the biggest answer you have to fix right there is can you still be effective with that RPO sideways passing game if you don't have a blocker out there? I asked Eric that question about Nimrod and Webb because I wonder if one of those guys becomes the de facto Javante Payton for the rest of the way. And that's a guy who runs really well, doesn't get a ton of targets, but stretches the defense. I mean, Javante Payton, what, averaged one catch a game, two catches a game? No. All in the first quarter. Right. In the first quarter, he was going to run a takeoff somewhere, right, um, to, to 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 get everybody's attention on the back end. Do, do they play that? Because that year it almost felt like they were playing with two receivers instead of three at times. No offense to Javante Payton, but once he got his first catch out of the way, then it became Valus Jones and, and Cedric Tillman mm-hmm. on the same side of the field in a two-man game. So I'm going to be fascinated to see how this offense evolves without Brew McCoy, what it becomes, because I don't think it can be exactly what it's been with, with the passing game the first five games. And it sounds like as much as we as much as we want to see it, they're not even going to entertain potentially the thought of D. Williams having a package, right? Uh, I wouldn't go that far. D. Williams has been a little running a little uh, scout team offense here lately. Okay, I, I just I, based on the comments from the quarterbacks club, and he's not going to give anything away, but yes, I, I think that'd be a good idea. I think, I think the head coach will fight it. Now, you know, the, the question is, is does does you know does everybody else just say, hey, this has got to be a move we make because we just don't have any bodies over? I mean, it's it, I mean, it's a real concern. I mean, Jack Jancic's three snaps away from being on the field. And I think the biggest thing is it's well just, if he was an MTSU would be an all conference type kid, but yeah, you know, I, I I think we can all agree, Brandon. You wrote this too. It's just at the end of the day, he is too dynamic to only touch the football once, maybe twice a game. Does not mean he's going to be an All American wide receiver. Doesn't mean he's going to play twenty snaps a wide receiver. But he needs the football in his hands more than once or twice potentially a game. Well, and and you you know, Rob, if you watch the Jets play Monday night, right? The the the, the rock star from from Hard Knocks, who was the undrafted free agent, who became the punt returner, who won the game uh, against the Bills in week one. Where, where did they line him up a couple of times last night? Slot receiver, he ran some jet sweeps. Now, the question is, can would D. Williams do a whole lot different in that role than Squirrel White? What all can you do with D. Williams? I, I don't know, but, but you got a week here to tinker with some things, and you're looking for some dynamics. I don't think it hurts to take a look at it. I don't think he's ever going to play 10 snaps a game on offense, but if he played a half dozen, would, would it would it be the end of the world? I, and, I don't know. I mean, And it could be – I, I, if you're already throwing eight wide receiver screens a game, throw two to him. You know why, why, you know why not? See what happens. Yeah, and because and here's the thing. And if I'm, 
if I'm playing Tennessee, my punter's not kicking him the football. Oh, no. He's just not getting the football. I'm punting it out of bounds. I'm rugby style kicking it, hopping it around or whatever. I mean, I, I know there's a block in the back. But if you're watching tape to prepare for Tennessee and you see that punt return that he made that didn't count, I'm not kicking him the football. I, I'm taking as many opportunities for him to touch it out of his hands as I can because of what he's shown the ability to do. So how do you how do you use him if everybody's going to try to do everything they can to prevent him from getting his hand on the football and special teams? And I think most teams are trying to do that. But again, like Saturday when they were backed up to the – Back of the end zone, I think he that, had a bad punt. <laughs> that was just a bad, bad punt. Well, it was. It was just. A, but you, didn't you think of the line? I mean, I said in the press box, "Here comes the line drive," because I mean, like the guys don't have no time to get it off. Yeah, he's backed up. But again, I'm line driving that one closer to the sideline. You know, I'm not line driving it to the hash. You know, where 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 he's going to field it on a hop or two hops or whatever whatever Dale Carter move he made there to to field that punt. Uh, to, to get down the sideline, I, I just think you got to do everything you can to keep it away from him. I, I don't, I don't think you can always keep it away from him when you're backed up like that. But they, they kicked it to him a couple other times. Um, I'm just not going to take that chance if I if I'm going against him based on what I've seen out of him so far. Was, was, was that a sharp? Was, was that a sharp in a pan? What, what, what kind of what kind of punt return was that? Yeah, well, I mean, disgusting man. Not, I mean, what, what was? Never mind. Keep going. <laughs> I'll refrain. I'll refrain from where I was going. We'll roll right along in this podcast. Hey, hey guys, want to see about a proud sponsor of the show? That is Bird Dogs. Bird Dog Stretch Khaki Shorts is on to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg to give you a sculpted look. And the shorts, they do the exact same thing as Lululemon, but they fit way better. They fit better than regular shorts because regular shorts are made of stiff, restricting cotton, but Bird Dogs has fixed this issue by inventing a cloud nick fabric that looks just like khaki, but it stretches so you don't have to sacrifice movement in your everyday life. Plus, with Bird Dogs, they've invented this anti-stink uh, sweat wicking fabric that helps you stay cool and dry all day long. The versatility, it's the name of the game with Bird Dogs. You can go to a meetings, you can go to church, you can go to the gym, you can lounge around in them, you can go to church, you know, whatever the case may be. Uh, with Bird Dogs, those slacks, those shorts, they have got you covered, and you feel good while doing it. Feel good while wearing them. Go to birddogs.com slash VQ. Enter that promo code VQ for a free Yeti-style tumbler with your order. That's birddogs.com slash VQ or promo code VQ for a free Yeti-style tumbler. You won't want to take your Bird Dogs off. We promise you that. And as always, a big shout-out to our uh, proud presenting sponsor of the VolQuest podcast. That is Exterior Home Solutions. You know, life happens, and damage to your home can be extremely stressful. That's why it's important to find someone who offers efficient, quality work with financing options. Exterior Home Solutions, they value not only family, but community. And they're who I call when life happens, and you should too. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. 
From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Big thank you to Exterior Home Solutions for making this coverage possible. Five games in, Tennessee has a bye week this week, a chance to recharge, regroup, get healthy. But kind of going into this stretch now of SEC games, Austin, where is Tennessee better than you thought that they were going to be? And maybe where is Tennessee worse than you thought it was going to be? Man, I, you know, I, I still think you're kind of figuring out where they are because you know, they've had some key injuries and and they're out. They're not as good at receiver as I thought they would be because Dante Thornton has not been who they you know, projected him to be to this point. And obviously, Brew McCoy's now out. Um, you know, I, I do like what they're getting out of, of Caleb Webb. Um, and, and we'll see more Chaz Nimrod from here on out. Um, on defense, um, you know, I, I just I, I think that they're even better on the defensive line than I thought they would be. I, I think that they, you know, I thought they would be good, but I didn't realize they'd be this 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 disruptive. And I know they didn't play great at Florida, but uh, I think that was more game plan than anything else. And you know, I think I wish they I think they wish they had a do over um, for how they played Florida defensively. But uh, that'd be the two units I would roll with. Rob, where has Tennessee kind of impressed you, and maybe where has Tennessee come up short, uh, kind of entering the season? Your thoughts? Well, I mean, you have to say defensive line for sure. Um, and I, you know, I'm I'm not one of these people that's super critical of him, but I, I did think Milton would be would be better. I thought that, um, you know, I thought we'd see more Clemson Joe, Joe Milton than what we has. And, I, and I'm not one of these. I, I don't think he's been awful. I don't think he's the reason Tennessee lost at Florida. But um, you know, he's just I, I just thought he would be more accurate. Um, and a little more in control based off, you know, everything that, that we heard in the spring and the fall. And um, I guess that would be my, my biggest takeaway. And again, I'm not, I'm not one of these people that thinks, you know, you get, you bench him right now and all that. I, I just thought he would be better. I would agree with that. Uh, from my assessment, I think that, you know, Joe Milton's certainly not the reason Tennessee losing some games. He, uh, we, we talked about him on the Rockets out rewind and that being a game manager, because that's what he is right now. The best looking game manager in the country He's not losing you games. But, Brent, I, I too, along, along with Rob, I thought he would be better to this point. There's a lot of football left. Maybe that's kind of where I've been wrong so far. But I agree with Austin. Defensive line's been good. Wide receiver at points in times not been as strong as I thought so far. But Tennessee's still very much figuring it out. Yeah, I mean, I you know, my, my surprise, disappointing surprise, I, I thought they would be better – overall in the vertical passing game than what they've been. And, and I yeah. think everybody I think everybody goes into that. Now, getting Cooper back helps you protect up front a little better. Maybe that helps your vertical passing game. But I, they just haven't played very well 20 yards downfield in the passing game uh, like I thought they would. Um, so we'll see where that goes from there. In terms of individuals, the three most impressive or surprise players for me to this point, I thought Jalen Wright had made a step. I didn't know he had made that big of a step and his physicality in the run game. Um, we knew James Pierce had a ton of talent. Could he put that talent together? I'm surprised he's done that to the degree that he has so far. I mean, he's becoming a complete, much more complete player in front of our eyes. And Austin talks about it all the time, contract here. Nobody's playing their contract here better right now than Tyler Barron is. Um, that's the Tyler Barron that, that you know you thought was in there for several years. Now, I know he's staying healthy, but, but his – 
his stat line against South Carolina was nothing. He didn't have a stat line basically against South Carolina. I thought he played really well in that game. I thought he was super disruptive, created a lot of problems for his teammates that they capitalized on. Um, he's been as big a surprise to me as anybody on this team through five games. This is a, a big surprise. I mean, it's not like the biggest storyline. I'm really surprised. How surprising is it that Tennessee is legit playing two freshman linebackers and, and Carter? And I, I, I wanted I wanted to ask you last night, Hubbard. I was afraid it was too late to call. When is the last time that they have legit played two freshman linebackers at the same time as you know as part of the two deep? I couldn't remember. I couldn't come up with anything. No, I mean I, I don't I don't know when that would have when when that would have happened that that you would have played. Um, I, I mean. Maybe it's happened somewhere along the way that I, I don't remember. I mean, Mayo played as a freshman. I don't remember who all was beside him. Um, but I, I listen, no one ever from now on should ever criticize Brian Jean-Marie or, or, or wonder whether or not, you know, they're willing to ta- – I mean, that guy is rotating and has generated rotation since he's been here with some guys that you're not really sure why they're rotating. And for him, Austin, to put guys in the situations he's put them in the last two weeks. I mean, Aaron Carter's on the field uh, against UTSA on a fourth down play. He makes a great play on. Then you look up last night uh, or Saturday night, they're in some critical situations, and both of them are out there. I mean, Brian Jean-Marie says, hey, I trust you. Prove me right. And those guys are starting to prove him right because I think they're getting better almost quarter by quarter, half by half, not just game by game. Well, and I think that, that that specifically the defensive side of the ball, um, you know, and probably more so the the front seven, they realize that they've got to push some of these younger guys along. That and the fact that I mean, kids get this, you know, they get disgruntled over there when they're not playing, and so like getting. I mean, I'm not saying they got to play 40 snaps, but getting a kid seven to 12 snaps goes a long way to keeping that kid satisfied for next year when he's going to play you 45 or 50 snaps and. You know, T. Lander has worked extremely hard. He's been one of the more diligent workers in that uh, entire defensive side of the of the of the you know, of the building, and, and then of course Arian Carter as well. So I mean, like they are really putting themselves, um, you know, in a position where they're going to help this team going forward. And they're only going to be that much better if Keenan Peely is able to come back at the tail end of the year. How much better will that group be? Just because they've all played, they've all been forced into action. And you can say that same thing for the the Webs and Nimrods now, and you know we'll see who else can help this team over the next uh, few weeks. Yeah, it's one thing. It's to me, oh, Eric. It's one thing to play guys, you know, to to give them a little run to keep them jazzed up. I and mean, clearly, there was a plan going into the UTS A game. Hey, we need to get Nimrod and Webb on the field. Okay, not worried about losing that game. We're gonna get. We need to get them on the field. Get them some run. Kind of get that going now because of the injury to McCoy. They're gonna have to play them. But there was a plan against San Antonio, UT San Antonio, to play those guys for the very reason Austin's talking about, to make sure they're engaged and not disgruntled. Brian Jean-Marie's doing something different. He's taking two freshmen, and he's putting them in in super high-critical, big-time situations because he's totally believing in those guys. I get, what Austin, what you're saying, but the, what, what BJ is doing with those guys in key moments – is you just don't you just haven't seen that and that's a credit to him and his trust he has in them that's a credit to their work ethic and the development they're having at that position yeah 100 percent. i mean i agree most coaches don't do what he's doing you know they they roll with the old heads even to sometimes the detriment of the team because they know that you know 
you know, this like, guy knows what he's going to do. He's not going to middle us. Right. He's not going to say he's not going to Nigel Warrior at South Carolina. You know, right. and, and but at the same time, those guys can make some plays too, and so it's a it's a give and take. He couldn't do that in years past. And this is an off-season conversation, but just quickly as we wrap up the Brian John Marie talk, I think he's done the the most with what he's had so far here as an assistant coach. He's he's been brilliant. I mean, he had nothing the first couple of years outside of JB. We we, we made the joke about this team won ten games with you know some of the guys they had playing last year, and I mean it's true. I mean it's 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 truly incredible uh, the the management, the strategic behind all that, but forcing these guys in there to get some action because. You're going to have to count on them. I don't think that they envision counting on some of these guys as much because of the Peely, uh, Keenan Peely injury, but here you are. And, uh, I mean, you're going on the road to Tuscaloosa. You're playing a big-time SEC games coming up, and you just played one. And, and get these guys some real-time exposure, it's huge. And think about I think we can all worked, agree that where this team is right now, Rob, if Tennessee cannot run the football, I think Tennessee's in trouble in that game. Tennessee's <laughs> a great running team. If Tennessee is shut out and can't run the football – I don't think you could hang around and make things interesting like 2021 at Alabama where Tennessee couldn't run the football and it was a one-score game in the fourth quarter, whatever it was. Tennessee's got to run the football. No, and it's just, you know, Joe Milton's a different quarterback than Hidden Hooker. I mean, Hidden Hooker yeah. could cover up a lot of stuff. I mean, even if it wasn't, you know, complete the pass. I mean, buying two or three more seconds and get out of the open field. So, I mean, Joe could – I mean, you could win with Joe playing complimentary football. I mean, I think that we can all agree with that, but I, I completely – you're not going to win if, if he's looking at a lot of third and seven, third and eights. Yeah. And maybe that improves as the year goes on, but I think that's kind of what we know through five games. Hey, that's that's what you know about Josh Heupel, the Josh Heupel era. Yeah. I mean, this, this is a program, even with, with Hendon Hooker as a Heisman candidate, they are now 19-3 and three when they rush for more than 150 yards. When they rush for less than 150 yards, they're 3-6. and six. It's, I mean, that's that's the money line, right? I mean, you've got to be able to run the football for all the talk about, you know, how much they throw it and vertical field and all those other things. I mean, the catalyst for this offense is running the football. And when they can run the football successfully, they're going to win. I mean, the, the, I think the three, one of the three losses was Purdue in the bowl game. Another was Ole Miss when they let Ole Miss run for 300 yards against them. And in, in those were year one games. I mean, you look at where they're at. 150 is the big number. If you can get there, they're going to give themselves a chance to win every game that they play the rest of the way. Tennessee's got three backs that they like an awful lot right now. They've got a lot of confidence in. And, of course, the more you run the football, set up those second short, second manageables, the better off you are uh, moving forward. Um, last thing here on the VolQuest podcast, big recruiting weekend. We spoke a little bit about it on the Rocky Top Rewind, but AP – uh, two official visitors, one big-time unofficial visitor, and that's the first of three uh, big-time recruiting weekends here for games this season. The other one's coming up for Texas A&M. Then you'll have the Georgia game. How did Tennessee fare overall recruiting-wise this past weekend? Well, I, for, for my liking, you know, you're already in a pretty good spot with Cam Michael. I mean, by no means is that one done, but you would position yourself well there. He comes up, first time he's here, atmosphere off the charts, right? But the other two kids that we're talking about, one official, one unofficial, Daniel Hill, who, again, was a long shot for Tennessee um, going into the visit. I still think that Alabama would be the team to beat, but I think Tennessee's giving him something to think about. And I think South Carolina, all of a sudden, is not Alabama's biggest competition anymore. I think Tennessee is. Um, but, I mean, he's sitting there in the stands as a running back. Well, I mean, Tennessee runs for 238 yards. Three running backs averaging six and seven yards a pop. They each have a score. Um, you have a 100-yard rusher in Jalen Wright. If you're Daniel Hill, you're like, oh, wait a minute now. 
And I like the way this offense runs. In the same vein, you've got Jordan Seaton, big offensive lineman. Tennessee's moving people at the point of attack. They're having a lot of success in the running game. Atmosphere's off the charts. All of a sudden, Florida and Alabama are now joined by Tennessee at the top of the race for Jordan Seaton. And, um, you know, I know the RPM says Ohio State, but, again, I think the top three are Florida, Alabama, and Tennessee. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, that they, they did as well, and the game transpired as well as they could have hoped for for the kids they had in attendance, right? Yeah, absolutely. And when you look at, you know, Tennessee has an off week this weekend, it's a chance for coaches to get out and go see guys. I know you'll have a ton of this in the war room coming up later in the week, but who are some guys Tennessee's going to be trying to get out and see this past weekend? And then obviously some headliners already on the docket that's supposed to come in for the A&M game. Well, they'll be, in, they'll be around the state, but they'll also head down to, they'll head over to North Carolina. Could very well head to Mississippi. Um, that Some of the travel's not been totally set in stone yet. Uh, I think a lot of it depends on, you know, kind of where Tennessee feels like they're at, you know. Um, where do they feel like they're at with Daniel Hill? Is it beneficial to go see Daniel Hill this weekend? Um, you know, I think they'll be in the state of Georgia, and then it uh, wouldn't surprise me to see some in the state of Florida. But, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, Tim Banks is probably going to go out, head out and see those junior college defensive linemen. And, um, you know, we'll see who joins him, who doesn't join him. But either way, like, I think Tennessee's going to, you know, have a uh, huge contingent out there as the uh, coaches bounce around a lot uh, on Thursday and Friday. Let's go around the room real quick as we say goodbye. Brent, let's start with you. One thing Tennessee needs to work on this off week. Uh, again, it's, it's time to get healthy, rest, recover, and all that, but you're still putting some work in. One thing Tennessee needs to emphasize this next week. I just think it's, the, you know, clean up the passing game. Um, you know, get, get – Get a better rhythm there. You know, you're going to move some receivers around, get your chemistry, whatever you need to get going there. Uh, I think that's the the one key thing. If you can unlock that one, this this offense becomes really dangerous, uh, much more dangerous because of your ability to run the football. So I, I, I'm going to look at – I'm going to look on the, the offensive side of the ball and, and go with the Tennessee passing game. Just got to be more efficient, more cleaner than it's been. Rob Lewis. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll just say because of the injury to Brew, what do you, you know? What are you going to do there? What's your? I mean, not just cleaning things up, but what's your personnel? You know, look like what's your? Are, are you shuffling your two deep? Are you moving like like we talked about earlier? Is he may have to move from outside, you know, inside to out, or out, you know, vice versa? And you know, what's your answer to to losing a, a really big piece of the puzzle? And um, you know, to a lesser degree, but just you got those. You got Cooper back. You move the offensive line around. Just get reps, get some chemistry there to, you know, as you, since you've only played one game with that essentially brand new combination. Yeah. I'll, I'm going to go with the wide receivers too. I think it's important to figure out, they're going to find some way to be creative again, like Nathan Leacock, I don't think is close to going on the field. I think if they had to push somebody out there, it would probably be Jack Jansen, you know, over Leacock just because I mean, length in the system understands, you know, where to go, all that stuff. Um, we'll see, though. But either way, like Tennessee's got to find a way to be creative, whether that's using Cam Selden out there some, using D. Williams, you know, Dylan Sampson in some kind of role where he split out wide a little bit. I mean, or as Hub said, you know, use Jacob Warren more in that role. Um, I, I think it's something that you, you have to figure out where you're at. And they need to be over there <laughs> rehabbing that hamstring for Dante Thornton because yeah. – he, he, you know, that's something that kind of flares up and it flares up, but they can't really afford for it to flare up a whole lot. And let's face it, Squirrel White is still tiny. He's a big hit away from being knocked out like he, you know, was over the Virginia game. 
you know, and, and so, you know, you have to be cognizant of some of these things. Tennessee's going to need more wide receiver depth down the stretch. The A&M game will be the exact halfway point of the season. Here's another in the press box. Drive number one of the game for Tennessee offensively. And Squirrel Y, they kept feeding it to him, and he was tapping. He was like, I need I need a break. And we're like, well, who's going to go in? <laughs> I mean, like, you're tapping, but who's going to play slot? You know, Chaz and Emrod played it a little bit later. But um, to be different from the three of you, I will go on the defensive side of the football. Fourth straight game, 10-plus missed tackles. Want to clean that up. Took a step in the right direction. We pointed out it was uh, no, no members of the secondary had a missed tackle, so it was up close around the line of scrimmage, which is good. You're going to have missed tackles. It's football. Uh, but just continue to try to you know sharpen that up and, and clean that up because uh, missed tackles have come back to haunt you a, a little bit this season. Yeah, and I think defensively, if you're looking at things, they've got to eliminate the big play. I mean, I, yeah. I think that they've played and done a lot of really good things um, and have gotten better. But you go back, you got a 70-yard-plus run for a touchdown in the South Carolina game. Uh, you, you had a 43-yard touchdown in the UTSA game. You had a 60-yard touchdown run or whatever it was in the Florida game. You had a 42-yard run on a quarterback fourth and two play against Austin P. They've got to eliminate that big chunk play that's a result of their own self-inflicted wounds, misfitting a run gap, missing a tackle, whatever the case. I don't think they've been got in terms of, you know, just stunned by what's going on or, or lost somewhere. It's just they've just missed they've misplayed a couple plays and it's led to big gash plays. They've got to prevent that moving ahead. Exterior Home Solutions brings you coverage of the VolQuest podcast. If you need roofing, siding, windows, or a garage, contact Exterior Home Solutions. They've been local and trusted since 1999. 865-524-5888 for a free estimate. Give them a call today or visit them online, exteriorhomesolutions.com. Tennessee has a bye week, but still on the practice field getting some work in. Texas A&M coming to town on October the 14th. Tennessee is now 4-1. One and one in SEC play, and we'll be back on Thursday to answer all of your mailbag questions. For Brent Hubbs, Awesome Price, Rob Lewis, I'm Eric Kane. Be sure to like and subscribe to this video and this channel as we continue on here on the Ball Quest Podcast. You've been listening to the Ball Quest Podcast every week here on Ball Quest. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.